0: Sounds like it's it. Just this sound. okay. We'll live with it. All right. Uh, yeah, let's before we read, let's bow in prayer. Gracious God, thank you so much for your word. I thank you that it is trustworthy and true, and I pray, Lord, that you'd speak to us through your word now, to the glory and honor of your Son Jesus Christ. For we pray all in His name. Amen. So we pick up with Daniel chapter 4. King Nebuchadnezzar, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. It has seemed good to me to show the signs and wonders that the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom, and his dominion endures from generation to generation but they could not make known to me its interpretation. At last Daniel came in before me, he who was named Belteshazzar after the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. And I told him the dream, saying, O Belteshazzar, chief of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy gods is in you, and that no mystery is too difficult for you, tell me the visions of my dream that I saw and their interpretation. The visions of my head as I lay in bed were these. I saw and behold a tree in the midst of the earth, and its height was great. The tree grew and became strong, and its top reached to heaven, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its leaves were beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beasts of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the heavens lived in its branches, and all flesh was fed from it. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold a watcher, a holy one came down from heaven. He proclaimed aloud and said thus, Chop down the tree and lop off its branches. strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit. Let the beasts flee from under it and the birds from its branches. But leave the stump of its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, amid the tender grass of the field. Let him be wet with the dew of heaven. Let his portion be with the beasts in the grass of the earth. Let his mind be changed from a man's, and let a beast's mind be given to him. And let seven periods of time pass over him. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers, the decision by the word of the holy ones, to the end that the living may know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, and sets it over the lowliest of men. This dream I, King Nebuchadnezzar, saw, and you, O Belteshazzar, tell me the interpretation, because all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make make known to me the interpretation. But you are able, for the spirit of the holy gods is in you. Then Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, uh, was dismayed for a while and his thoughts alarmed him. The king answered and said, Belteshazzar, let not the dream or its interpretation alarm you. Belteshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream be for those who hate you and its interpretation for your enemies. The tree you saw which grew and became strong so that its top reached to the heaven and it was visible to the end of the whole earth, whose leaves were beautiful and its fruit abundant and in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field found shade, and in whose branches the birds of the heaven lived, it is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. Your greatness has grown and reaches to heaven, and your dominion to the ends of the earth. And because the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, Chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave the stump of its roots in the earth bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let him be wet with the dew of heaven, and let his portion be with the beasts of the field, till seven periods of time pass over him. This is the interpretation, O King. It is a decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall be made to eat grass like an ox, and you shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. Therefore, O King, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity all this came upon Nebuchadnezzar at the end of 12 months he was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon and the king answered and said is not this great Babylon which I have built by my mighty power as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty while the words were still in the king's mouth He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox, and his body was wet with dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagles' feathers, and his nails were like birds' claws. At the end of the days I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven, and my reason returned to me, and I blessed the Most High and praised and honored him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion, and his kingdom endures from generation to generation. And still more greatness was added to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. And then the Philippians chapter 2. We begin with verse 5. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God bless to us these readings from his holy word. Back around uh, 1990, yeah, that's a few years ago, uh, back around 1990-91, I was at a conference in Oklahoma in the United States. And the conference was for small church leaders and elders and the like. And so, so I was there, I think Karen and I might have been leading some worship uh, or doing some teaching or maybe just as participants. But uh, a man named Matt came up to me and wanted to have a chat with me about the ministry. And we talked together uh, about, uh, oh, maybe 30 minutes or so. Uh, in our conversation. Uh, he asked me whether or not I thought he should go into the ministry, and I gave him my standard answer, which is no. Uh, I say, you shouldn't do it unless it's the only thing you can do. You know, it should be your last choice, and, it, and it, it needs to be your only choice. And so we chatted, and, and, so, and, I, and I, I saw him once or twice more, but I didn't hear much from him. Until about uh, 10 years later, I had a call, and it's Matt. And he says, Rod, I looked you up, and I, just, I, I was writing a paper for seminary. It's, a, it's part of uh, our graduation process where we have to uh, give an account of the, the most influential person in our journey to the ministry. And I just wanted you to know that the conversation that I had with you was the most influential thing in my journey to the ministry. And I was writing about it and I thought I should let you know about it. Matt and his wife uh, went on to be missionaries in Russia for a number of years. And just before COVID, they were about to head off to Uzbekistan. Uh, And uh, kind of interesting. uh, Sometime around the same time, uh, we had a funeral in the church that I was part of at the time. And a young woman that I hadn't seen for gosh, at least uh, maybe at that stage, maybe 20 years. Uh, came up to me. She was there for the funeral. Uh, I think her name was Tracy, and I was chatting with her. And she said, Rod, I just wanted you to know that uh, the reason that I'm in youth ministry right now is because of you and Karen leading worship at the camp that I used to go to. And I just wanted to thank you. Now, I, I tell those stories not to kind of pump up myself or anything like that. But uh, what I've noticed over 35 years is that oftentimes, it's the very little things, the small conversations that tend to make an impact. And and I've discovered many times that the more time I spend investing into somebody, the less likely, likely it is that they go on and flourish. And sometimes, the slightest touch has the deepest impact, because there are tiny things that we do, tiny encounters that we have that might be life-changing for other people. And the impact we have is there, but let me tell you, it is seldom affected by who's in charge. Because I can't remember who the President of the United States was, and I could think of it if I had to, uh, at the time it didn't make any difference, so the governor, or Uh, or a particular leader, it doesn't matter. Somehow those little things and those little touches that we have make a huge difference. And we've been talking about that with Daniel, how Daniel lived a faithful life punctuated by the miraculous. He didn't live a miraculous life punctuated by faithfulness. Daniel's life mattered as we're seeing. His life made a difference no matter who was in charge in Babylon. And he lived through a few. He lived through quite a few. He was able to flourish. He was able to thrive. He was able to have an impact even though he was taken from Israel and moved to Babylon. And we've been talking about that, how we don't live in Israel anymore. We don't live in a society that uh... prefers christianity we live in Babylon a society that sometimes is openly hostile to christianity and this is such a great story i'm really struck this week that i've encountered two new christian songs based on this story i gave a link to one Uh, that just never happened to me before before i was preaching a message that that two people came out with a song based on the story i was going to preach on and such an obscure story as well. But it's really dramatic, you can almost see it. It's like one of those TV programs or those movies where it starts out with some action and then it pauses the action and says, eight years ago. You know, and it it does this flashback to the action. And you see it. Here, Nebuchadnezzar, he's established in his kingdom, he's having a good time, he's flourishing, and then he has this dream. And the dream is kind of disturbing. It's about this big tree. And the tree gets cut down. And some crazy guy gets wandering, get, goes wondering about. And he's like, OK, what's going on here? So he calls all of his people, all the middle management, all the civil servants. He calls them. And of course, none of them have an answer for it. So finally, he calls Daniel. And he says, Daniel, or Belteshazzar, I OK, I knew that you could give me an interpretation so tell me what it is here's the dream and tell me the interpretation of course Daniel is terrified because immediately he he knows the interpretation right he knows what it means he says king let it be for your enemies and not for you and the king has to say okay Daniel I'm not gonna cut off your head don't worry about this I won't feed you to the lions I'm not gonna hang you I won't kill you at all just tell me the truth and so Daniel tells him he says King, this is you. You're the tree. You get cut down. You're going to wander around for seven years. And you're going to be like a crazy person. Your, your, your hair is going to be really long. Your fingernails are going to grow out like talons. You're going to crawl around like a beast. And it's, it's going to be a bummer. And, uh, and he says, now, I, I give you some counsel. King, probably the best thing to do is repent. Tear away those sins. Tear away those iniquities and change your life, and maybe it won't happen. So he departs. A year later, you get this, 12 months. A year later, Nebuchadnezzar is up on the palace roof. He says, wow, haven't I made a great kingdom for myself? Aren't I the most awesome king ever in the universe? And isn't it amazing what I did just by myself by my own effort, by my own hand, and the Lord says, whoops, too bad. Now it's going to happen. And he goes, and he goes crazy. He wanders out into the wilderness, and seven years go by. And after seven years, he kind of comes to his senses, says, God, okay, I praise you, I worship you, you really are God. It's about you, not about me. And suddenly, he's restored and he's restored to the kingdom. And the whole story is told by Nebuchadnezzar. So it's Nebuchadnezzar relating all the things that happened here. The striking thing about this story is that it's eight years long. It lasts eight years. This is a, an eight year long chapter. I know you thought it was a long time when I was reading the whole thing, like, when is he going to get to the end of it? About eight minutes. We'll multiply that by eight years, and you got something that's, that's really, really long. And it's also extraordinary to me how Babylon didn't fall apart when Nebuchadnezzar wasn't there. Uh, just such an incredible story. But in this story, we learn some very, very important things for us in our Babylon today if we're going to flourish. We need to pay attention to these things. The first thing, and it's really the emphasis of the whole story. This is what it's all about. God is sovereign over history and humanity. The one true living God, the God that we worship, the God known as Yahweh, the God who is one God in three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, that God is sovereign over history. Nobody challenges him. Nobody, no, no, nobody changes the plan. The outcome is going to happen because God is sovereign. God is the king. And no human being is even close. No human being is even close. The theme of the story, and you know it's a theme because it's repeated three times. And let me tell you, when God repeats something three times, Take it seriously, especially if it's very close. Here's the theme. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. The Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. That is the theme of the story. And by the kingdom of men, it's referring to all the earthly governments of human beings. All of our areas of influence, all of our areas of control. Even you might think your, your large companies, your Amazons, your Facebook. The Lord, uh, the, the Lord most High, the Most High God, rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. And God's purpose in telling this story is so that we the living would know and take it to heart. We need to take it seriously that God is sovereign. We need to take it seriously, That God is in control. And a lot of times, what we do as people, we run around thinking that it all depends on me. That if I don't do this right, then everything's gonna fall apart, my family will fall apart, the church will fall apart, whatever is gonna fall apart. And we run around like crazy, or we start to panic and we say, Oh no, now we've we've got a Hindu prime minister. Oh, what's gonna happen? The nation's going to gonna fall apart. We've got an octogenarian president. What's going to happen? The United States is going to fall apart. It's terrible. It's all going to happen. And we get crazy and we start thinking that it depends on me. It depends on, on my protests or, or whatever it is that you might insert for yourself to do. But God says no. The Most High rules the kingdom of men. The Most High is in charge. Take it to heart and live accordingly. And this God is the one who gives the kingdom of men to whom he will so that people cannot take credit or responsibility. You know, sometimes that's why you get somebody that seems like an utter idiot that's in charge. You say, how did that person get there? And I'm not saying any names here. You can fill in the blanks with whomever you want there. But sometimes that happens. Because God wants us to know it doesn't depend on them. God is the one who's in control. It didn't depend on which Caesar was in power for the first 300 years of the church. The church grew anyway. It didn't depend on whether they were being persecuted or not. The church grew anyway. And God wants us to take this very, very seriously. And this is the God who does great signs and wonders. This is the God who can do any miracle possible. And this God, his rulership, and his authority are everlasting. They do not diminish. And his rulership and his authority are transgenerational. They work across time. You know, we we like to measure our lives by birthdays, right? Oh, next year will be my next birthday. Oh, and then we all look at the big tens, right? 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, and and on. You know, and we think we measure our lives that way. You know, God does not God measures our lives in terms of generations. God measures humanity in terms of generations. Do you know that God might have you do one thing That will affect somebody a hundred years from now. Because that's the way God works. And there's so many, so many examples of that. I'm not even going to begin to try. God works over the course of years. He doesn't work according to our timetable and our time perspective. You know, if with the day of the the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is like the day then that means if God says, I'll be with you in a minute, that means six months. You can do the math. In this story, it's eight years long. Eight years it takes to unfold. It's a year after the dream, before the seven years start. It's extraordinary how God works across time. He works across the course of years. And God declares his will... And his ways, even to those who are not his people. Nebuchadnezzar wasn't a Jew. He wasn't a believer, as we would typically think of it. But even he had to come to a place of acknowledging the reality of God. And God does that time after time after time. But this God, who declares his will and his ways, is also a merciful God. He's a God that provides opportunities for people to repent. In this case, it was a year. At any time during that year, Nebuchadnezzar could have listened to Daniel and said, okay, I'm going to tear my sins away from me. I'm going to get rid of my iniquities, and I'm going to act in righteousness, and I'm going to show favoritism to the poor and oppressed. He had a year, but he didn't take it. And by the way, that's true most of the time. Most people, even a lot of Christians don't take God's opportunity to repent. And many times we end up falling into a time of discipline, just like Nebuchadnezzar did. And so God will act. Remember, His time; he acts in his timetable with patience. But then when he finally acts, he acts suddenly, as in Nebuchadnezzar's case. That's why we're praying for revival and we've been praying earnestly for revival for more than a decade, and we believe it's coming. I believe every bit as much now as I did 10 years, 11 years, 12 years ago when we started praying faithfully for revival as a church. I believe every bit as much now it's coming because I know that God acts with great patience and then suddenly, and when it comes, it's going to come really fast, so he's given us an opportunity to get ready. But God always acts freely according to his will, both among the hosts of heaven and among the people of the earth. Nobody binds God's ability to act. Nobody thwarts God's ability to act. God acts just the way he decides to act. He acts freely. No one can stay his hand. And no one has the standing to interrogate him. To say, What are you doing that? Why'd you make this guy president? Why'd you this make this guy my boss? We don't have the standing to interrogate God in his way. Because God is God. All of God's works are right. There's nothing that God does that is wrong. There's nothing that God does that violates the standards of righteousness. And all God's ways are just. They're always fair. They're always proper. So he wants us to know the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And we have to have that as our basis. We have to have that as a foundation of our faith. We need to live out this reality in our lives. We need to live extra every day like we believe this is true, because it makes all the difference. In fact, if you don't get this, you don't get anything else. It's so important. God is sovereign over history. and our faith our bait is based on that you know I live my life for Jesus knowing that this life is not the life it's the life that is to come if we don't believe that God's sovereign over history why would we live for Jesus now it doesn't really make sense it only makes sense when we know that God is sovereign over history the second thing we learn in this text very important, that the leaders of Babylon are inconsequential in the flow of history under God's sovereignty. The leaders of Babylon are not that important. The leaders of Babylon are insignificant. We often think that it's whoever is the leader, whoever's in parliament, who's ever the boss, or on and on and on, that that's what makes all the difference and we focus on getting the right person elected but the right person elected will not make a difference in what god is doing in history it doesn't affect his sovereignty getting the right president of the united states does not change the direction of history as god knows it perhaps sometimes as we know it but not as God knows it. Leaders ultimately are rather inconsequential. They might seem to be great, but as the text says, the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will, even the lowliest of men. Do you know that any leader, and you can name any leader globally, that leader is the lowliest of people whether it's a man or a woman. They're the lowliest of people. The lowliest Christian has a higher standing. That's the reality. The leaders, they might seem great, but they're the lowliest of people. They're insignificant. God stands over them. And if you want proof of that, Babylon functioned just fine For seven years without Nebuchadnezzar. Now that's different than say our parliamentary democracy, where okay, if the prime minister is gone, at least you have a bunch of sub prime ministers that can take over, right? But uh, even in the United States, if the president's gone, you got a vice president to step up, and get rid of the vice president, we got a speaker of the house that will step up, and they'll keep stepping up and stepping up and stepping up. There was always somebody there. There's nobody. And in Nebuchadnezzar's case, he is the absolute dictator. What he says goes. And he's gone for seven years. And everything takes over. I wonder if you know if his chef never said, oh, gosh, Nebuchadnezzar hasn't eaten a meal in in a year. Where's he getting his food? No, or any of or, or any of his civil servants. They said, We haven't heard from the boss recently. I wonder what he thinks about it. the job we're doing. It just kept going. It was God's demonstration of his insignificance. And we also learn that these leaders, they're surrounded by a spiritual reality, a reality that's filled with angels and demons, as well as the natural reality. And they cannot normally see the spiritual reality, but the spiritual reality dramatically affects their leadership one of the reasons why we pray. Because sometimes the spiritual reality of parliament has a bigger impact than the actual natural reality of parliament. That's why when somebody gets to certain positions of leadership, you ever notice they tend to act like everybody else in that same position of leadership? It's because they're spiritual forces that are influencing them. And we also learned that none of Babylon's wise men can figure out the ways of God. They just don't get it. The people of this world, they cannot possibly know the ways of God. And so we have God here who challenges leaders. And I think God challenges all leaders, whether they're Christians or not, with the same way that Daniel challenged uh, Nebuchadnezzar, tear away your wrongdoing, tear away your sins, rip it from you, and practice righteousness. Do that which promotes healthy, good relationship, and also tear away your iniquities. Now, what are iniquities? Iniquities are the things that we do wrong because we're messed up people. We're in a broken world. Wrongdoing out of our brokenness. It says tear away your your these iniquities by showing mercy to the poor, to the oppressed. Show them favor. Show them mercy. Uh, according to God, these are the only things that can lengthen the prosperity of the leaders. But ultimately, those leaders who are walking in pride, he will humble. And in fact, it's human pride and arrogance that seals God's decree concerning leaders. Doesn't matter where they are, doesn't matter if they're Christian or not. It's their human pride and arrogance that will seal God's decree. So God demonstrates his dominion for those who will see. He shows it here clearly. As I said, the real miracle of this passage is not what Daniel does. The real miracle is that Nebuchadnezzar is away for seven years, and it's like nobody notices. And things keep going on. So we cannot find the well-being of our nation in any leader, even any political party. Even as Babylon did not find its well-being in Nebuchadnezzar. Without God's grace and mercy, we also learn here that people, including leaders, actually are little more than wild animals. And sometimes that's exactly how they behave. So leaders in Babylon are actually rather insignificant. They're inconsequential in terms of the flow of God's history. But the third thing we learned that's very key here is that Christians in Babylon all have minor but consequential roles in the flow of history under God's sovereignty. We all have a role. But every one of our role is minor. There's none of us that God can, can't can do without. None of us are irreplaceable in, in our role. So if we don't do it, God will get somebody else to do it. We all have a role. We all have a part to play. But we should never deceive ourselves that our part is, makes us big makes us significant, makes us essential to anything. I mean, God taught me that with City Temple. He brought me to City Temple when I was about 360 years old. And, you know, he showed me quite clearly that he managed for 360 years, three and a half centuries without me, and so he could probably manage another three and a half centuries without me. You just learn you're not that important. You know, Parliament was around a long time before Rishi Sunak became Prime Minister and will most likely be around a long time after he's gone. It's the flow of things. But the important thing to note is that although our role is minor, unlike the leaders of Babylon, it's consequential. In other words, your part is significant. You are significant. And we see that so clearly in this story. Now, the book we've read, it's called Daniel, right? And Daniel features in this chapter. He didn't feature in the last one, but he features in this chapter. Daniel features in this chapter. It's an eight-year-long story. How long did Daniel feature in the chapter? Maybe an hour maybe 60 minutes before Nebuchadnezzar. It probably didn't take much more than that for Nebuchadnezzar to tell him the story and for Daniel to tell him the interpretation. We can be generous and say two hours. So Daniel's impact in this story is two hours of eight years. Two hours of eight years. and yet his impact was the impact of consequence wasn't Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar was there and he wasn't who cares but it was Daniel that made all the difference in how this story unfolded it was Daniel that gave the interpretation of the dream you might feel or seem insignificant in your own idea in your own eyes but you have enormous importance before the Lord. Your role in God's history is essential. The problem is you don't know exactly what it is. I've used that story before, you've heard me tell it, the story about uh, 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 who led somebody to Christ. Now you might have heard that uh, George Verver, the founder of Operation Mobilization, uh, passed away this year. Uh, He is one of the most significant people in world missions in the last 50 years. Easily. Easily. Who led him to Christ? Nobody knows? Well, I do. Billy Graham. That's great. So, who led Billy Graham to Christ? Mordecai Ham. Who led Mordecai Ham to Christ? We don't know. Probably his dad or his grandfather. So who led his dad to Christ? Uh, Maybe his grandfather, okay. Who led his grandfather to Christ? We don't know. In the flow of that story, and the flow of that story that I've just told is about 150 to 200 years. In the flow of that story, who was important? That person that led the person that led the person that led Mordecai Ham to Jesus. That person, whose name we do not know, has had a multi-century impact. You just don't know. But your life matters. Your role is consequential. Your role in God's history, by God's design, out of his sovereignty, is essential. And we also see here, you notice how Daniel's name was known. He calls him Daniel. He says, Belteshazzar, but in the story, Nebuchadnezzar calls him Daniel. He refers to him as his real name, not as a functional name. In the same way, your name is known. Even when Babylon seeks to change your name, your name is known. Your name is known, if not on earth, it's certainly known in heaven before God and no power of Babylon can replace your name can replace who you are and we see here how Daniel had God's spirit inside of him Nebuchadnezzar didn't recognize it fully but uh, uh but but Daniel had the spirit of God inside of him we have the holy spirit of God inside of us in even greater measure than Daniel did because we're We're here, post-Pentecost. God gave Daniel wisdom and understanding. God's Spirit gives us wisdom and understanding. God uses Daniel, use Daniel here, to communicate his word to the people of the world, and God will use us to communicate his word, his will, his ways, as well. You don't know that half-hour encounter you have with somebody might lead them to become a missionary to the ends of the earth. That five-minute water cooler conversation might be the spark that puts that person on a journey to find Jesus ten years later. You don't know, but God does, God does. Your role might be minor, but it's absolutely significant, it's consequential in the kingdom of god by god's design and we have to live in with confidence in that reality as we saw daniel lived his life faithfully in babylon all throughout he experienced flourishing despite the difficulty we know he flourished because years after he was first brought into nebuchadnezzar's service he's still there and he's still the guy that Nebuchadnezzar goes to when he needs a solid dream interpretation. But throughout this time, Daniel wasn't waiting for God to use him. Daniel wasn't saying, oh God, oh God, what am I supposed to do? Uh, How am I supposed to live? I'm just going to sit around and do nothing until you tell me what I'm supposed to do. He didn't do that. He lived out his life, his reality, who he was. He was faithful in the way that we live the way that he lived, just as we're called to be faithful in the way that we live. Now, this is good news. It means you, you are significant in ways that you'll never understand this side of heaven. But when we see it from the perspective of history, from the perspective of heaven, we're going to say, oh, that's that's so amazing. I'm there. I'm part of this. And it's gorgeous. And it's glorious. And it looks like Jesus all over. That's our reality. But we can flourish in Babylon. And if we're to flourish in Babylon, we need to see the unfolding of our history now from a divine perspective. You can't look at it anymore from the perspective of your life and your ways. And you have to have supreme confidence that God is sovereign over history, especially when everything seems to be falling apart in the middle of Babylon. God's still sovereign. God's still in control. We need to have faith that Jesus Christ is God with us, that he humbled himself and became obedient and became a human being, although he was fully God. And he seemed so small and so insignificant when he came out as a baby. And he must have seemed so small and insignificant in backwater Israel growing up. But he was actually the Savior of the world. Jesus is God with us. We often forget how small and insignificant he seemed until he was resurrected. And we often neglect how significant we are because we just seem small and insignificant in our eyes or in the eyes of people around us. So we have to recognize that our lives are significant in ways that we might not fully realize, but they are significant. And consequently, frankly, we just need to stop trying to figure it out Stop trying to figure out your life and get on and live simply for Jesus. Live your faithful life punctuated by God's miracle for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. Because we cannot know that significance of our impact in life. Even a short episode can make an eternal difference. But we can know That God is sovereign and has surrounded us with his love in Jesus Christ so that we can live by grace through faith in Jesus every day. Let's pray. Gracious God, thank you so much for this story. Thank you, God, that you are the sovereign Lord of history. That you rule the kingdom of men and you give it to whom you will that you're in control, and that those leaders that we often look up to, those leaders that we often idealize, they're nothing. They're the lowliest of men, not the highest of men. But that we, in your Son, Jesus Christ, are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, far above every other name that can be named. That we have a name that no Babylon can wipe out. A name that's known in heaven. And that we have lives of significance. Help us to live them faithfully. Your glory, honor, and praise. We pray all this through Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Thank you.